Dear Father, we want to thank you again, Lord, for bringing us, for giving us life, for giving us the opportunity to study your word, for giving us so much knowledge, so much truth, Lord. May we be faithful with what you've given us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to be uh, continuing our talks, the talks that we have had over the last two days. And uh, today we're actually going to go over the acronym of New Start and look at some in health insights there. So I hope it's a blessing. Let's see, will this, will this work for us? It's, we're almost there. So as, as uh, Mr. Nino said, yes, my father is leaving in August to Venezuela as a mission pilot. He, uh, he's actually going with uh, GMI, with David Gates. They, he's going there to replace a pilot that, uh, that was abducted some years ago. Um, him and the plane were lost. Um, you've probably heard of him. Uh, Norton, Chuck Norton, I believe. Yep, I don't know if you've heard of him. And, and um, so... My father's going there. He feels the call of the Lord to go there. So when you remember, keep him in prayers. As Venezuela right now is not the safest place, but we know that when God calls you somewhere, it's the safest place to be. So, but do keep him in prayers nonetheless uh, when you remember. So today we are talking about New Start principles. And I wanted to ask, does anyone know, has anyone heard of New Start before? I'm sure many have, right? Has anyone never heard of New Start before? Okay, we have a couple here and there, and everybody's looking around to see who that is. <laughs> we have some that haven't heard great. Um, so this will be a great introduction and a great review for those that have heard it before. So New Start, we've all heard it, right? We can even say it together. Nutrition, exercise, water. Now you guys had it easy because you were reading it. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yes, new start. We're, we get this from uh, Child Guidance, well, one of the places you can find it in the Spirit of Prophecy, where it says, pure air, sunlight, abstemiousness, which is another word for temperance, rest, exercise, proper diet, the use of water, trust in divine power. These are the what? The true remedies. Every person should have a knowledge of nature's remedial agencies and how to apply them. It is essential both to understand the principles involved in the treatment of the sick and to have a practical training that will enable one rightly to use this knowledge. And, you know, we could actually spend a long time just breaking down this one statement and seeing what our duties as, as uh, Bible-believing Christians and Spirit of Prophecy-believing Christians, what our duty is. There's a lot here, but the main things are we see the seven true remedies that were given to us by whom? By God. We should learn how to apply them, and it's essential to what both understand and in the treatment of the sick, and also to be trained and to be able to use them. So not just theory, but also practical, practical knowledge. So a lot of us perhaps have been learning a lot of theory, a lot of theoretical knowledge. We, we go to many... Uh, we go to many uh, New Start lectures or whatever it is and we learn a lot. We hear lectures from nutritionists and doctors and nurses or whatever it is and, and we learn a lot about healthy lifestyles. But we are called to do more than just know but to live a lifestyle. So, and that's, that's our hope that we 
that we can actually apply these things in our lives. Now, I want, you to, I want to bring out that New Start, the New Start, uh, these are not just, uh, this is not just a diet that we adopt for one, two weeks. This is much more than that. In fact, in the United States, according to the CDC, about 45 million Americans each year are dieting. That's quite a bit. It's a good percentage of our population. Yet 68% of people over 20 years of age are obese. That's, a, that's more than half of our population. 68% are obese, over 20 years of old. And 65% of dieters return to their pre-dieting weight within three years. So obviously diets don't work. The whole uh, concept of New Start was actually not made for it to be a diet, but rather a lifestyle. God gave us these natural, these true remedies, these agencies to use so that we could live healthy lives and not have these ups and downs of, okay, well, I'll eat healthy now, and then next week I can, I have my uh, high school graduation coming up, my college graduation coming up, so, you know, i got to watch the, the sugar or whatever it is, right? It's not, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle for life. And that's something that only God can help us do. Now, for those of you that were here yesterday, don't answer at first, Okay? For those of you that weren't here yesterday, what is the purpose, what is the main purpose of health reform? What's that? A clear mind. Okay, anyone else? What's that? A new start, okay. All right, that's, that's good, but it's a little vague. What is the main purpose of new, of, of, uh, new start, yeah, of health reform? A better connection with God? Okay, yes? To live to God's glory. Were you here the other days? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the verses that we kept seeing time and again, Isaiah 43, 7 and Revelation 4, 11, we were made, to, to, we were made for the glory of God. And then we saw in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that whether you eat, therefore, therefore whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. And we saw how we, we can, the, the part of the three angels' messages, and I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, is that fear God and worship Him, right? And saying with a loud voice, glory, give glory to God. It's, it's a part of the three angels' messages. We are called to use health reform, but it's not just for an evangelistic tool. It's, not, it's even more than just for a clear mind, although that is definitely one of the purposes. But it is mainly... For a, for a spiritual connection with God. You see, most, most uh, let's actually read this quote before I go into this. Ministry of Healing 146 says, In teaching health principles, keep before the mind the great object of reform, that its purpose is to secure the highest development of body and mind and soul. Most, uh, most times when we hear about health reform, one of the main things we talk about is, you know, uh, hypertension and, prevention of cancer and prevention of diabetes or reversal of diabetes type 2 or whatever it is. And we spend most of our time on these topics, do we not? Is this not what health reform has become in our church? But, but it's so much more than that. The main purpose of health reform is, is meant to strengthen our walk with God. It is, it is more than just what we eat and how we sleep. and it, it's, it's a connection with God, as our brother was saying. We we, 
we do this not for just the body or the mind, but also the soul. And this was the main purpose of health from yes. Yes, that's another purpose, yes. Now, why is this important? Proverbs 26.2, you've probably read many times, the curse causeless shall not come. Whenever something happens, you know, the Bible teaches cause and effect. Things don't just happen all of a sudden. There wasn't a big bang and the earth came about. There's a purpose behind things. And, and when we get sick, there's usually a cause. Now, mind you, if you read in John uh, 9, uh, verse 3 or so, the disciples asked Jesus, this lame man, was it his sin or was it his father's sins? And what did Jesus answer? Neither. But for the glory of God, was it, it, was, it was that this uh, disease came upon him. And so sometimes disease will come from a, a cause that may even be unclear to us. Something that didn't even have to do with the way that we ate. You know, you've, I, I, have, uh, I have family members that will come to me and say, hey, you know, I heard of such and such a person. They've been vegan this many years and they, they were just diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, they kind of say it to, to rub it in one's face, you know. See, you can be vegan and you can still get cancer. And is that true? Yeah, definitely. You can be vegan, get plenty of... You can follow, you know, all, all seven uh, natural remedies um, and still get cancer. Because the main purpose was never for perfect health necessarily here on earth, but for a better connection with God. And if, and if, like Job, getting sick and losing those things that are dearest to us, like our health perhaps, is what it takes for us to strengthen our faith and the faith of others around us in God, then so So we have to remember that. Health reform is not just for physical health. But we do know that the curse causes does not come. And we can, by God's grace, with His help, evade many of the, the chronic diseases that plague our society today, such as hypertension and diabetes, we can evade them by God's grace, if it is His will, by the natural remedies that He has given us. Have you heard of epigenetics? How many of us have heard of epigenetics? Okay, a few of us. Epigenetics was, is a term that has been coined in the last uh, 15 or so years, 15, 18 years, around the turn of the, of the century especially, it started becoming uh, more prevalent, this terminology in um, scholarly articles and so on. It just means epi, right, around or above, uh, above genetics, above genetics, outside of genetics. And it talks about how our health can be affected by things that don't necessarily have to do with our genes. Now, have you ever heard somebody say, well... My mama was, uh, was uh, hypertensive, my papa was hypertensive, and my great-granddaddy was also hypertensive, so I'm going to be hypertensive. Have you ever heard something like that? Yeah, right? And you've probably heard the illustration of the gun, right? Where, for those of you that haven't heard it, we are born with a certain set of genes, right? By the way, fun fact, we're actually born with two sets of DNA. We have our mom's DNA Inside our cells, there's these things called mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of our cells, and they have our mom's DNA in there. Fun fact. So we each have two sets of DNA. But anyway, 
Um, we, <laughs> now I forgot what I was saying. The gun, thank you. Good, we're paying attention. All right, so the gun. We're born with a certain set of genes. And yes, we could, we could be born with a certain predisposition for cancer or hypertension or whatever it is. And so there's this loaded gun. But what pulls the trigger is our lifestyle, the way we live. And this is exactly what epigenetics, the studies of epigenetic, epigenetics does, is just that. It, it studies how our day-to-day -day actions affect our DNA. You see, all of us have DNA. For example, have you ever seen a, a, a father with blue, blue or green eyes have a son with uh, brown eyes? You know, maybe even both parents, blue, green eyes, brown eyes, or maybe even the, the opposite, which is not as common. But what happened? If both have blue eyes or green eyes, where did the brown eyes come from? See, we all have, in our DNA, we have, a, a co the code is there for many uh, possible outcomes as to what, how, that, uh, how the phenotype, the expression of these genes can, can be. And so it just so happens that our actions, our day-to-day -day actions, what we eat, how we sleep, all these things can actually turn genes on or off. Our daily choices can actually affect our DNA and change it. Change what DNA we pass on to our offspring. In fact, if you, if you uh, there's a good uh, video on YouTube called The Ghost in Your Genes. Don't worry, it doesn't have anything to do with spiritualism. The Ghost in Your Genes, it actually goes over the study of epigenetics and how it's a study done in Scotland, I believe, and how great-grandparents or grandparents affected the genes even of their grandchildren and, how, and so on. So I, I recommend it. It's actually very good. Our choices today affect not just our own DNA and our own health, but also the health of our posterity. And this is why we can see, have you ever read this in Exodus 20? For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the, upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Right? We've read this and we said, but why? God, a God of love, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children unto the third and fourth generation? How can he be a God of love? But actually... You know, thankfully, we, have, um, we, have, we now know from science that this is not just an arbitrary, and we know this, we can tell this from Bible study as well, but now science helps corroborate the Bible's testimony that God is a God of love, and we see that God is not vindictive, and God is not arbitrary in His judges. No, not at all. This is just like gravity. It's a natural outcome. It's it's like a law of nature that what I do will affect my children and my grandchildren. And what they do will affect their children and their grandchildren. And so on and so on. And this is why we, our race has degenerated so much. It's not, because, it's not just because it just so happened, but because our sinful choices have been changing us generation after generation. We have been decreasing in, in vital force and in morality. And, and today our society is so degenerated because of sin but it's, because of, it's not because God is punishing us, but because our own choices are punishing ourselves. It's just a natural law, a law of nature. So 
remember that. When somebody uh, brings out this verse to you, and I've had, I've had people bring it out to me a lot, and, and just sharing something as simple as epigenetics can help show that, no, God is a God of love, and He has given us the tools to choose a right so that our children don't have iniquity visited upon them. Because of us, mind you, not because of God. So, now let's talk about New Start. Now, as many of you have noticed, I, in the last two days, I haven't been spending so much time uh, talking about details in health and, you know, how many hours between each meal and, and so on, because at the end of the day, that's, that, that doesn't change us. What changes us, as Brother Goss, Pastor Goss was saying, is this. The Word of God and His inspired writings is what changes us. And so I could sit here all day and share all the things that I've been learning about the body, which are amazing, by the way, but that's not enough for us. And now, although today I will share some, some uh, details on health, the most important things I could share are principles. Take these principles home, study them out, see if, you're, if our lives, we need to take them home and see if our lives are in agreement with these principles, and if not, ask the Lord to convict us and change us from the inside out, not so that other, can, other people can see, but because He's placing in us both the will, both the desire and the power to do of His good pleasure. So let's start with nutrition, new start. Notice this, uh, this quote here, the diet has much to do with what? with the disposition to enter into temptation and commit sin. So is our diet important as, when it comes to spiritual health? Oh, definitely. It's not a joke. And yet, we still know a lot about this, but we treat it as though it's unimportant, as though it's a lesser truth in the system of truth that God has given our church. God has given us a beautiful platform of truth, and all these truths are interconnected. You take one out and you have an incomplete message. All of them, each one that God has given our church, they go together. It's like pieces of a puzzle. And the health message is not, is not, uh, is not inferior to any other. Um, it's just part of the package that God has given us. But we treat it as such. And, I mean, we've all seen it, right? I know I have. I've treated it as such. Oh, well, it, it's just this or that, right? But it's... It's not. It's much more than that. It's my connection with God. It's my understanding of God's truth. It's, it's being able to discern between right and wrong. It's being able to hear God's voice speak to my heart. That is what we eat and what we drink and all that affects that. And is that important? Definitely. And so out of love for God, we'll take care of our bodies. Not because we want to be healthy on this earth but because we want to have an uninterrupted connection with Him. Now, let me ask you a question. If you know the answer, don't uh, say it out loud right away. What has more cholesterol, an avocado or a coconut? All right, I hear coconut. Nobody says avocado? <laughs> now, the coconut has lot, tons of, un, of saturated fats, and so does the avocado. So which one has more cholesterol? <laughs> it's actually a trick question, yes. They, uh, they ratted me out too soon. <laughs> it, 
Yes, neither one has cholesterol. Neither one. Avocados or coconuts have cholesterol. Where is cholesterol found? Cholesterol is only found in animal products. So that's uh, meat, cheese, uh, all these dairy products, milk, etc. And it's also found in very minute amounts in, um, in mushroom. Don't worry. It would take a large amount of mushrooms to, to have the same amount of cholesterol as, uh, as an egg, let's say. So don't worry. You can eat mushrooms if, if, if you so choose. Um, but cholesterol is only found in animal products. So let me ask you something. One of the main uh, things that our society here in Western culture deals with the most is high cholesterol, hyperlipidemia. So if it's only found in animal products, what's going on? Now, mind you, the liver, our liver also um, secretes its own cholesterol. And um, let me see if I have it here. No. Let's see. Oh, sorry. Let me go ahead and go through this. I'll get to that. Government standards place high cholesterol over 200. But we see many cardiac events take place in people with cholesterol lower than 200. But very, very rarely, if ever, uh, with people, people with cholesterol under 150. So most doctors will tell you, try and keep your cholesterol under 200. But if you can keep it under 150, that's even better. Because, um, let me see, it, I think it's here. Yeah, 17% of heart attacks occur in patients with, uh, with cholesterol levels of between 150 and 200. So even having it under 200 is not completely safe. Um, try and have it under, two, under 150. Next time you get your blood checked, um, look at your, your uh, total cholesterol count and see what, what, uh, what's going on there. Uh, let's see. Have you heard of trans fats? Yeah, trans fats are the devil. <laughs> they, are, they are really bad. I mean, these are one of the most toxic things you can find in, in a grocery store. We, uh, you read your labels. You know, if it has trans fats, try as much as possible to avoid it because they are very, very bad for you. They're sometimes uh, labeled as partially hydrogenated vegetable oils. So just for for our information. Trans and saturated fats raise blood cholesterol, lower HDL levels, which HDL levels are the, the, good, the good levels. We want those. You can remember, when you remember about a cholesterol, I had a nutrition teacher, Dr. Sherry Liu. She would always say, HDL is for heavenly, and LDL, LDL is for Lucifer. So you can remember that. HDL is a good one, and LDL is the bad one. So it lowers your HDL levels and it raises your blood pressure. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, both HDL and LDL serve a certain function in our body. And they're there for a purpose, as our brother was saying. Yes. Generally, though, if our LDL levels are high, that means that, and if they're high enough, that means that a cardiac event is soon to happen. So you want to, generally, our, our LDL is much higher than our HDL, and you want to try and keep the LDL low, and you want to try and raise your HDL. So that's why they, to make it easier to understand for most people, they, they say, you know, HDL good, LDL bad, but they both serve a certain function in our bodies, and they're both necessary, for sure. Thank you. Now, unsaturated fats do the opposite. 
So, for example, when you have uh, vegetable oils, like olive oil, et cetera, these, these unsaturated fats, how do you know when it's unsaturated? If it's liquid at room temperature, it's unsaturated. If it's solid at room temperature, it's, it's saturated um, fats. So like coconut and avocado, they're solid at room temperature. So yeah. Fats are not bad. They are good when eaten in the right quantities and in the right forms. And a handful of nuts and seeds a day can help lower your risk of heart disease. Some studies even say as much as 50%. So um, eat your nuts and your seeds. They're good for you. God made them first. Now, however, do remember that if you find nuts in the wild, they're really hard to open. So we weren't made to eat a whole bunch of them in one day or one sitting. And God made them hard to open, difficult to open for a reason. <laughs> so don't go overboard. But yes, nuts in moderation, nuts and seeds are very good for us. Bile. Our, our, um, our liver produces bile. And what does bile do? So we see here that bile is 90% cholesterol. But what does bile do? It's an emulsifier. Yes, I heard someone say it. It's an emulsifier. So when we eat, when we eat uh, food and it contains any fat in it, as it goes from our stomach through the pyloric sphincter into the duodenum, to the first part of the small intestine, there's, this, there's these um, receptors that sense, you know, start sensing, okay, there's some fat. The liver releases some bile, or the gallbladder where it's stored, it releases some bile to help emulsify the fat. It's kind of like a detergent, a soap. It, it helps mix the fat with the water so that it can be absorbed, digested and absorbed. So that is the use of bile. But notice this. The more fat you eat, the more bile is released. And this will actually increase, this could actually increase your, your cholesterol levels. There was a gentleman um, at, who was talking to one of the doctors at Weimar. He was saying, doctor, I'm, I'm completely vegan, have been for some months now, but I, my cholesterol levels are so high. And so he would ask him, are you sure you're not eating any cheese or milk, nothing? No, no, I, I'm, what's going on, you know? And so it took them some weeks to finally, for the doctor to finally find out that it turns out this gentleman was, really liked his peanuts. And he would get a can of, of, uh, of peanuts, you know, and he would just eat peanuts, you know, a lot, a lot of them. But it just so happens that, you know, peanuts have some fat in them. And so the more fat he ate, the more bile his liver was having to produce to emulsify, which is 90% cholesterol and so on. And this actually was starting to raise his cholesterol levels. And he had no idea why. So, again, moderation, even in something that is good. Consuming plenty of soluble fiber will help get rid of excess bile and cholesterol. We're going to talk about fiber in just a bit. Before then, though, when considering dairy products, if you had to choose a certain uh, type of milk, right, excluding soy milk and almond milk and all those, if you had to choose between a certain type of cow's milk, whole milk would actually be the better option. And you're thinking, what? Why is that, you know? I mean, don't you want uh, low-fat or non-fat milk? It has less fat. But actually, the most dangerous component of milk is not the fat. It's actually the casein. Have you heard of uh, T. Colin Campbell? He wrote a book called The China Study. And in it, he talks about the ills, the evils of, uh, of casein. And uh, it just so happens that casein is a big promoter of cancer growth. When we consume things that contain casein, it's actually promoting cancer growth. And you know, all of us are being attacked by 
uh, are being attacked by cancer every day. Every single day. They, we have cancer within us, but we have cytotoxic T cells, you know, lymphocytes that help, help uh, get rid of these abnormal cells. And we have natural defenses that God has placed in our body. Thank God, amen? But he has placed these things in our bodies to help protect us from this onslaught every single day. And yet, we abuse our bodies by taking in things that help, help promote the cancer in our, in our bodies and help establish it and uh, give our bodies a harder time. Now, breast milk. Unless the mom has a certain uh, drug addiction or a certain disease, it's always best for the mom, the mother, to breastfeed their newborn baby. It is just the healthiest. I mean, when, when a baby is born, the first couple of times that the mother breastfeeds, she actually produces not milk, but a certain a certain uh, substance called colostrum, which contains many antibodies. Um, and, and so this helps, this helps uh, starts building up the immune system of the baby, protecting it against, now this, they're in a new environment with microbes everywhere, and the mom is helping to protect the baby through this colostrum, through, through the breast milk, now uh, building up its immune system. Now, have you ever uh, heard of Enzymes, I mean, these supplement enzymes, you know, take these enzymes because, you know, they'll help your digestion and this and that. In the, in the stomach, okay, the stomach, what type of environment is it? Is it alkaline or is it acidic? It's, just, it's pretty acidic, right? It's like around 2 on the pH scale. That's very acidic. And what happens to proteins when they, are, when they, are, uh, when they encounter an, ac an acidic environment? You see, proteins are all made of 20 amino acids. Okay? 20 amino acids make up the hundreds of thousands or millions of different types of proteins that make up our body and make up the things we eat and all life forms. I mean, protein is, is a very basic uh, component of life. But... It's made up of just 20, 20 different amino acids, kind of like the 26 letters of our alphabet make up so many different types of words. Now, the interesting thing is that proteins, although they have 20 letters, let's say, when they're put in a chain, they can serve completely different functions just by the way that they're folded onto each other upon itself. If they're folded a certain way, they'll, they might become part of the cell membrane. Or if they're folded another way, they might become part of a, of a hormone or whatever it is. And so they, they're folded in different ways and they, have, they serve different functions. But when pro proteins encounter an acidic environment such as our stomach, they denature. In other words, they, their shape is denatured. It's unfolded. And they lose their function. So when we, and enzymes just happen to be protein. So when we drink, en, when we uh, take enzyme pills or whatever, it's very unlikely that it'll do anything for us, if at all. I mean, they, they don't do much for us. We're just wasting our money because these proteins just denature in our stomach. Interesting, huh? There, there we start seeing a, a little bit of insight as to the, the business that has become people's good health. And there's many different scams like that all, all around. I mean, uh, even uh, many supplements, you know, different supplements that are taken, uh, that are promoted for, for different types of health benefits that even, even many good conscientious uh, Seventh-day Adventists are using thinking that it's good, but 
if we study the body a little more, we'll realize, oh, no, that doesn't do us any good. They're just taking my money. You know, and, and, um, but I'm not here to, to point out all those. Just giving some principles. Study, study, the, study how the body works. We're told in the Spirit of Prophecy that physiology is, is along, with, with, uh, along with gardening, should be one of the things we first learn in life. When we educate our children, we should start learning about physiology. And none of us know everything, but we can start learning, and we'll learn from each other and grow together. And so take the time, study the body, learn how it works, so that we're not deceived by the next uh, promotion of whatever it is that is being sold on the internet or whatever. So, so yeah, so these enzymes, right? Now what's interesting about this, though, is that the baby, uh, the, when the baby receives the colostrum from the mom that contains these antibodies, which are proteins, God made it in such a way that these antibodies, although they are proteins, they pass through the, the baby's stomach and they are not uh, denatured. Amen? Isn't God good? I mean, God knows how to, how to make our bodies well, huh? <laughs> it's amazing. Now, have you heard of uh, how milk is being associated with diabetes type 1? Has anyone heard about this? Yes, a lot of us or some of us have heard of it. Pretty much, um, we talked a little bit about casein earlier. It turns out that uh, casein is also another protein that uh, is able to pass through the stomach without being denatured. And when it reaches our, when it reaches our, our large intestine, which has large holes to reabsorb water, that's the main function of the colon, of the large intestine, is to reabsorb water. When, when that happens, it turns out that casein is also reabsorbed and, or absorbed. And so now the body has this big protein that it can't, it can't uh, break down any smaller. It doesn't recognize it. It can't make it useful in anywhere in the body. And so the body says, well, it doesn't belong inside of us, so let's, uh, let's do away with it. So the body creates antibodies to, to attack this protein, this casein, and it just so happens that this casein looks very much like, uh, like certain cells on our pancreas, on the islets, the, the beta cells that produce insulin. And so as the body attacks the casein and, and, and the beta cells that look very much structurally like the casein, people can actually lose the ability to secrete insulin and they become type 1 diabetics. So milk, and this has happened, this has been documented, it's actually been, it's very recent within the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, I believe. It's very recent, these studies have been coming out and there is a, a very big uh, connection between milk and diabetes type 1. Now have you heard of this? The whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead. One of my uh, nutrition teachers would always say that, Dr. Sherry Liu. <laughs> the whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead. We want some color in our food. God made our food very colorful. And, um, and yet we try and take out the color. <laughs> you know, white bread, white rice, etc. Um, or we try and add a lot of artificial color, but that's another story. So the whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead. Eating whole wheat bread instead of white bread will reduce your risk of heart disease by almost 50%. The difference is that it has a lot of fiber. Like, for example, have you heard of, uh, well, you've, you know white rice, right? White rice tastes good. It has a great texture. I mean, it's just awesome, especially when you go to, like, a Chinese restaurant. You know, if you ever do, they have the white rice. It's great, right? 
But it just so happens that the rice doesn't come that way. It's, uh, the rice doesn't come white. It's, uh, rice is actually, actually comes much darker, you know, brown or bra- black or, or even red I've seen. And, and what they do is it has these, these uh, little coverings, right, that are fibrous. And so they take off these coverings to leave just the starch that's inside, and it's, it's widened, right? It's, it's already pretty white, but it's widened. And so it's left without the fiber, and when we eat white rice or white bread, we're just eating pretty much just starch. Now, fiber is important because fiber, what it does, um, fiber actually helps, it's like a, it helps time-release nutrients into our blood, okay, into our circula- circulation. When we eat, let's say, uh, brown rice, the brown rice also has starch, but it also has fiber. And so when we eat the brown rice, the, the starch, this energy, this glucose, right, instead of it uh, becoming this spike of glucose in our blood, in our, in our, yeah, in our blood, the fiber starts just slowly but surely time-releasing this glucose, this, this nutrients into our blood so that we don't have this spike, so that our our energy lasts longer and we don't get hungry as often. Now, have you seen kids like snacking all the time and they're eating all this candy and they have this, you know, this sugar rush and then it goes back down and you want something else and they're just super hyper. Not only does it get, it hi- get them hyper, but it's playing with their uh, blood glucose levels and it's going up and down, up and down. And insulin um, is on- constantly having to be secreted. I mean, this can get tiring. We only have one pancreas and we want to take care of it. You know, this, this uh, up and down, this snacking between meals is actually harmful. So um, some, some have even said that insulin, and this I, I haven't studied myself, but it's something that you can go study, um, that insulin is a growth factor, that it can also promote cancer when it's constantly in our circulation, this constant snacking. So maybe write that down, go see, find out for yourself whether that's true, and let me know. So uh, people who eat 29 plus grams of fiber have 61% lower risk diabetes type 2. Why? Because they're, they're not having these blood, uh, the sugar rushes, you know, they're, they're having a more constant rise and lowering of, of blood sugar. And so their, their blood sugar levels are more constant, their, their body is more in control. So fiber time releases, these nutrients being absorbed, it slows down the absorption. And white bread has a glycemic index, glycemic index of 100 compared to table sugar, which has a glycemic index of 70. So that just gives you an idea. Wow, that's uh, quite a load of, of, quite a lot of sugar in there, right? Far too much sugar is ordinarily used in food. Cakes, sweet puddings, pastries, jellies, jams are active causes of indigestion. Especially harmful are custards and puddings in which milk, eggs, and sugar are the chief ingredients. Something that God gave to God gave to our prophet for us, you know, this, uh, and she actually talks quite a bit about the mixture of milk and sugar and how it causes fermentation in our, in our uh, stomachs and our digestive organs and so on. And I won't belabor the point, I think that the, the, uh, the quote says it enough for us, right? I mean, I don't have to say more than that, but, but know that lots of sugar is harmful. You know, and, and if you can uh, avoid it as much as possible, do so. It'll be good. Because, again, it's not just our health, but it's our connection with God. 
are being able to hear his voice. So that was a little, a little bit of nutrition. And um, <laughs> just some general overviews. There's much more, but I'm not here to give all the details, just some general principles. And, and if you feel convicted that this is something that, that we can learn more about, then go home and study and, and ask God uh, to teach you individually, each one of us individually, what, what do I need to change, Lord? What, what is it in my lifestyle that, that you want me to surrender? And maybe it's something I eat, maybe it's the way I sleep, or whatever it is. He might lead each of us through different, through different paths to the same destination, but maybe one has to give up something while the other one has to give up something else first. And, you know, don't use other people as your standard. Don't, don't you try and become the standard, because none of us are. Jesus is the standard. Ask Him to lead each, each yourself, you personally. Lord, what do you want me to do in regards to my health? in regards to my connection with you, how can I improve my own life? Not, not Billy's or Joey's or whoever's, my own heart. How can I improve? So now we'll talk about exercise. Before we move on, did you have something to say, brother? Or maybe we should keep it till the end. Uh, all right, so exercise. The question was asked, what determines good health? Four large studies were used to find the answer. Cancer prevention, two study. They were looking at 1 million, people for, 1 million people for over six years. The Alameda County Good Health Practices Study, you've probably heard of this one, very famous study. The Adventist Health Study, have you heard of this one? Yeah, okay, I hope so. 34,000 people um, over 14 years, that's a significant study. And Healthy People 2010, Priority Health Goals. And one of the things that uh, was, that they were able to get from all four studies was the following. The single most important choice in making a lifestyle change is to decide to be physically fit. Statistically, this choice will have a larger impact than even quitting smoking or alcohol. Now, we know from the spirit of prophecy that one of the most powerful things we can do is actually caloric restriction, right? But they were seeing from their perspective that it just so happens that the people that ended up adopting a, a healthy lifestyle in, in the form of a regular exercise routine they were actually the ones that ended up going through with every other aspect of their lifestyle changes. See, the people that started eating differently and, you know, maybe even slept better or whatever, but didn't really make exercise part of their program, most of those ended up, ended up uh, not continuing with the program. Whereas those that made exercise a part of their program, they continued the eating and the eating well and the sleeping and so on. So if we are not exercising, exercise. We know from the beginning, you know, Genesis 2.15, and the Lord God took the man and placed him in the skyscraper to work at a desk job for eight hours a day, nine to five. Is that what it says? And the Lord God took the man and placed him where? In the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. He gave him this physical exercise to work, to work, to use his muscles, you know, to, to be able to tend this garden. Now, how many of you have done gardening? I have. It's, it's pretty tough work. You know, I'm sure he didn't have to do weeding like we have to do today, but, you know, the trees, we know from the Spirit of Prophecy that even after sin, the trees that uh, Noah was using to build the ark were very strong, right? Very tough. So who knows what he had to deal with? I'm sure he had plenty of exercise, right? So, so yeah, God placed him in the Garden of Eden to do exercise, Genesis 2.15. Notice this, another precious blessing is proper exercise. There are many indolent, inactive ones 
who are disinclined to physical labor or exercise because it wearies them. Notice, Ellen White had a sense of humor. <laughs> what if it does weary them? The reason why they become weary is that they do not strengthen their muscles by exercise. Therefore, they feel the least exertion. <laughs> when the weather will permit, all who can possibly do so ought to walk in the open air every day. Notice, when the, she says when the weather permits, but then she goes on to say summer and winter. <laughs> but a walk, even in winter, would be more beneficial to the health than all the medicine the doctors may prescribe. So, take that walk. Or whatever it is that you're, wherever you are in your, uh, in your physical state, if you can do more, if you can go for a little jog, or, or whatever it is that you need to do to be able to, to exert yourself, um, do physical labor, you know, useful labor around your house, build Build that shed that your wife has been asking you to build for like two years now. You know, the honey-do list. You do some of those things and, and uh, use those muscles. I'm not married, so I can say those things. <laughs> Without any drop of guilt. <laughs> walking will lower your risk of heart disease. Amen? I mean, walking, it's so simple. You know a good brisk walk at... Try and, try and have a good brisk walk in the mornings. Uh, morning air is excellent. It, she actually says in other, in other uh, books where she says, I think it's in Councils on Health, she says, a walk in the morning would prevent hundreds of, of, of colds and, and flus. It's, she doesn't use those words, but, but that's pretty much the, the Elias paraphrase version. Don't tell Pastor Goss. <laughs> but yes, you know, it's, it's this, it's that, you know. You have, you have this, um, you have to walk in the morning, and it actually helps prevent many, many diseases, unwanted diseases. So um, take a walk in the morning. It, it, does it does much good for us. You can break it up into smaller segments. Let's say, if, you know, we're, we're told we should try and exercise 30 minutes a day, at least. But if you don't have a 30-minute block to give, cut it up into, you know, divide it into three 10-minute sections throughout the day. Um, you know, or two 15-minute sections, whatever it is, but, but get that exercise in. It's worth it. And most people that say that they cannot exercise, you know what's the main reason they give? I don't have the time. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know. Many of you are married. What happened when, you know, you were really busy and then you had that boyfriend or girlfriend come into your life? You know, even if it was God's will, suddenly there was time for this person, Right? Or whatever it is, you know, you become interested in this book and you make time to read this book. Or, or whatever it is in, your, in our lives, haven't you noticed that when we want to do something, we make time for it? No matter what, what, how busy we are, if we want to do something, we'll make time for it. And so, exercise, make time for it. Decide, make the decision to make time for it, and it will happen by God's grace. Asking God for help each step of the way. On average, every hour you exercise extends your your lifespan by two hours. So you get a two for one. That was uh, by, I think, the Alameda County um, study. However, too much is harmful. Like four to five hours or more, that's already getting harmful. So don't, too, don't go overboard. Moderation in all things. Let your moderation be known unto all men. You have to walk about 35 miles to lose one pound. So now, this is just to help balance things, right? I'm telling you, go for a walk and so on. You have to lose about 35, you have to walk about 35 miles to lose one pound, depending how you walk, of course. Um, so it's not just exercise alone. But, however, when you take, when you break down 
are, let's say you make a pie chart with what, uh, how, how calories are burned in our body, the vast majority of calories are burned not by exercise, even by somebody who has been, by a per, uh, when a person is extremely active and does lots of exercise, the majority of their calories are not burned by the exercise. You know what it's burned by? The, just the general, the general upkeep of the body. Metabolism. Just, you know, uh, making sure that the temperature is, is uh, the internal temperature is fine. Making sure that the blood keeps pumping, the, the, the muscles, etc. Everything. All this, is, this is where most of the calories are used up. In just the, general, the, the regular upkeep of the body. So, although this is true, you would, you would probably, it would, if you just isolate walking, then yes, 35 miles. But on a regular basis, you, would, you, would lose, you could lose a pound in a week even. But healthy weight loss should be around half a pound a week. You see these programs that say, you know, lose, uh, I lost 18 pounds in three weeks, you know. That's not good. Don't follow their example. That's very unhealthy. When that happens, you're actually losing mostly water and, and muscle, not fat. And then on top of that, you're also uh, weakening your bones. So don't, don't, go for, don't fall for those programs that help you lose weight very quickly. It's not, it doesn't, it's not worth it. Um, the best way to lose weight is to have a healthy lifestyle. Eat well, exercise well. Now, if you start exercising, and let's say that your goal is to actually lose weight, and you realize that you're not losing weight, don't get discouraged, because muscle actually weighs quite a bit more than fat. And so you might, you might lose some fat, but you might gain a bit of muscle, and you might still weigh the same, but you're healthier. So weight is not the, the gold standard by which we assess our health. It should actually be whether we're physically fit, you know? How, can I go up the stairs and not lose my breath? Can I, you know, can I dress myself and not get tired or whatever it is, depending on where we are in life. Do aerobic exercises three to five times a week at least. Anaerobic two to three times a week at least. Strengthen the muscles. You know, this was actually, let's see, about two, oh, yeah, two years ago. Exactly two years ago. I... I was uh, giving a health seminar uh, similar to, to this, and, and I was using some pre-made, pre-made slides, and it talked a lot about doing weight training and, and mus- uh, stre- uh, mu- strengthening the muscles. And that had never really, that really didn't form part of my exercise routine. But along with the slide came a whole bunch of uh, summaries of different studies, so I started looking into it. And it just so happens that, and you've probably heard this before, but it was a new revelation to me. So it just so happens that you can tell, usually tell, whether you're going to need help getting dressed or bathing or just eating or whatever it is, any normal, any normal uh, day-to-day activities by, by the strength of your muscles. You know, people, they were able to tell uh, by, strength, by measuring the strength of their forearm, let's say, they could predict, not to the day, or, but they could generally predict when this person would have to, how many years from then they would have to start needing, unless they change, how many years from then they would have to start needing help getting dressed, um, doing these day-to-day normal activities. 
And so strengthening our muscles is actually important because not, not just so that we maintain uh, our own independence, which is important, and I don't know why he talks about that, being able to do things for ourselves is important, you know? And uh, being able to dress ourselves, etc. And, um, and I don't know about you, but I, I want to be able to dress myself as long as possible. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, strengthening the muscles and being able to do things, to lift things, um, and not only that, but the more muscle mass we have, the more fat is burned. So, if you want to lose weight, um, or if you want to be physically fit, rather, you know, building up some muscle will actually help. You might not lose as much weight as you wanted, but you'll be in better, better shape, better health. And if you're going to do any form of running or walking briskly or uh, useful labor um, or even weight training, uh, make sure that you begin moderately. Don't hurt yourself. Start at a slow pace, gradually build it up. Because many people, especially us guys, you know, we, go, we might go to the gym and we say, oh yeah, this is nothing, I can do this, and then we pull a muscle, we get a hernia or something. And so uh, wives, take care of your husbands, go with them to the gym. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about water. Ministry of Healing, page 237 says, In health and in sickness, pure water is one of heaven's choicest blessings. Its proper use promotes health. It is the beverage which God provided to quench the thirst of animals and man. Drunk freely, it helps to supply the necessities of the system and assist nature to resist disease. That's pretty clear in and of itself. Drink your water. In fact, I'll just say quickly, there are plenty of studies. Look for them. Go to uh, scholar.google.com and look up um, benefits of water uh, consumption. You know... Again, I'm not here to give all the details. Go home and study for yourself. Find out what, what, uh, what needs to be done to keep a healthy body. But if you look that up, though, you'll find that water consumption is directly correlated to, um, to our, our intellect, to our, our being able to, to process information and memorize and all these things. Our, our water consumption is directly correlated. So if you have a water bottle next to you, go ahead and grab it now. Take a sip. Make sure that your brain is, is hydrated. There's also another aspect of water, and that's water treatments. They're, if they are wisely and skillfully given, they may be the means of saving many lives. Let diligent study be united with careful treatments. Our people, who's that? Who's our people? Who's she referring to? Us, right, our people, we, should become intelligent in the treatment of sickness without the aid of poisonous drugs. Many should seek to obtain the education that will enable them to com combat disease in its varied forms by the most simple methods. There was, uh, I was working at the New Start program over in, um, at Weimar. It's a, an 18-day live-in program where they help them change their lifestyle radically. They, they change their diet. They they uh, helped them with, get off their medications. Just recently, there was a gentleman who came in with, uh, with uh, really a bag full of medications. He had them lined up, you know, bottle after bottle, and they were maybe about this long, all these medications. And after 18 days, he was down to just one and a half medications. I mean, the Lord is doing great things in being able to help people with their health. And one, uh, when I was working as a therapist there at the New Start program, I was giving, I had one of the gentlemen that I was working with was a nurse. He had worked as a nurse for many years. He was, uh, I believe, now retired. And, 
and uh, he had diabetes and he had diabetic neuropathy. He was losing, losing sensation in his, in his feet uh, due to poor circulation. And so we started doing some hydrotherapy treatments, changing his, uh, his, putting his legs in hot water, very hot water, and changing them over to cold water and switching back and forth a certain amount of times for a certain amount of time each, each cycle. And, and uh, slowly but surely, after about a week or so, he said, you know what? I'm starting to have sensation here now at the top of my feet. And, and it started spreading little by little. His, the sensation was returning. And it returned to most of his foot by the time he was leaving. 18 days is a short time, but a lot can happen in 18 days. And he said, I'm an Adventist. I've been a nurse for this many years. I don't remember how many. And I've never heard about hydrotherapy. I can't believe this. This actually works. There was another gentleman that he had, he had arthritis in, uh, in his vertebrae, in one of his uh, cervical vertebrae. And so I was getting, when he was doing the contrast showers, and so I would get the hose and, and get the, the hot water all, all along his spine. And he was having pain. He would, because he would wake up and he, he could sometimes barely move his neck. And after, after the 18 days, he came in, he says, the pain is gone. I don't have pain here anymore. Hydrotherapy, and it's not the hydrotherapy alone, brothers and sisters. It's God's power working through these agencies because He has asked us to use them and He will work through them because He has promised He will. And so we are asked to learn how to use these treatments, not, not because there's any virtue in and, of the, in and of themselves, but because God will work through our faith because we believe that simple water treatments can help heal because God has promised He will do it. Sunlight. Physicians often advise, in, advise invalids to visit foreign countries, to go to some mineral spring or to traverse the ocean. You've heard of that, right? Go to those uh, hot springs or mud springs or whatever in order to regain health. When in nine cases out of ten, if they would eat temperately and engage in healthful exercise with a cheerful spirit, they would regain health and save time and money. Amen. God wants to save us some time and money. <laughs> Exercise and a free, abundant use of, of the air and sunlight, blessings which heaven has bestowed upon all freely, would in many cases give life and strength to the emaciated invalid. God wants us to take advantage of the sunlight. It has antimicrobial effects. There's lots of, I have to go quickly now, I'm noticing that the time is running out, but there's lots of, uh, lots of good antimicrobial effects. You even see it in, in the spirit of prophecy. She says, open your drapes. Open your curtains. Who cares about the faded carpets? It will bring a glow to your children's cheeks. She says that. You know, it doesn't matter whether, you know, it stains the furniture or discolors the furniture, rather. You know, that's not important. Open the curtains. Open the windows. Let the sunlight come in. She talks a lot about how the sunlight should hit our beds and how our beds should be exposed to sunlight. And that people who don't, uh, woe be to them. Vit um, sunlight, vitamin D. Um, it's extremely important for bone health. Uh, it's also good for your immune system. Look it up. It's very important. When next time you get your blood checked, check your vitamin D levels. It's very, very important. Temperance. All right. We'll read this. Uh, true temperance teaches us to dispense entirely with everything hurtful and to use judiciously that which is healthful. There are few who realize, as they should know, as they should, how much their habits of diet have to do with their health, their character, their usefulness in this world, and their eternal destiny. The appetite should ever be in subjection to the moral and intellectual powers 
the body should be servant to the mind and not the mind to the body. That pretty much covers it all. Temperance is dispensing with that which is harmful and moderation with that and that which is good. Even too much broccoli is bad for you. Air. Breathe deeply. So when we breathe, let's say if we're sitting in a chair listening to a long health lecture, you sit upright and have your abdomen be what, what is distended, not our shoulders going up. Let, let this be... Who, don't look at each other's bellies. That's not, that's not what we're here for. Just let this distend because, see, anatomically speaking, the diaphragm is what, what, uh, what um, separates the abdominal cavity from the thoracic cavity. And the lungs, they don't, they don't expand like this, they expand like this. And so the diaphragm pushes down, allowing, allowing now that when, this, when the diaphragm pushes down, the pressure in the thoracic cavity goes down, allowing the atmospheric pressure to push air into our lungs. And so you'll be able to, to breathe in more air. So when we breathe, allow the abdomen to be what is distended, not the shoulders, you know. We're not, we're not trying to look tough here. Just We're trying to be healthy, so... Allow the abdomen to be distended. And I'm still learning. I'm still remembering. Oh, yeah. Breathe well, you know. And, it, and I notice a difference. It'll be more oxygenation to your brain, better reasoning, better thinking, um, you know, better intellectual uh, abilities, etc. Exercise will help with better breathing. And keep your windows open whenever possible. Now, NASA started doing some research. And this is what they came up with. According to NASA, Americans spend about 90% of their time indoors. Whew, maybe we should have had this outside, huh? 90% of their time indoors. The air inside most homes is an average of two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. Let that sink in. Two to five, more time, two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. It's one of the top five environmental risks for public health, according to NASA. And where, do this, where does this pollution indoors come from? Supposedly, it comes from um, household cleaners, pesticides, foams, furnaces, composite wood products, indoor compo composting, carpets, gas ranges, garbage cans, personal care items, etc. There's lots nowadays that messes with our, with our air. So uh, open the windows whenever possible. Let that fresh, fresh air come in and get rid of the carpets if possible. <laughs> we got rid of the carpets in our home and uh, we saw the difference, you know, we, we stopped uh, having so much runny noses and so on. It makes a difference. But, yeah, and there's places where you can get, um, where you can get cleaner household cleaning products and so on that perhaps might not cause so much pollution. This is not a big issue, but if it is for yourself, to you, if you have, let's say, respiratory problems and so on and it affects you more than the average person, it's something that you should look into. NASA researched several green and flowering plants that remove toxic chemicals from the air in building in interiors. The recommendation from them was one six-inch plant per, per, per 100 square feet. And these following plants were, were shown to help remove formaldehyde, benzene, and carbon monoxide. They are bamboo, palm, th that daisy, marginata, peace lily, Chinese evergreen, Mother-in-law's tongue, and not your mother-in-law's tongue, but you've probably seen it. It's this green plant that it's very long. They call it mother-in-law's tongue. <laughs> English ivy, Janet Craig, pot mum, 
Warnicke and Maskane or corn plant. These, uh, these 10 plants were actually very, very uh, effective at purifying, purifying the air inside homes. So this is something that, something perhaps even inexpensive that we can invest in to, to help uh, have clean air inside our homes. All right, rest. We're almost done. <laughs> you want to try and get at least seven to eight hours of sleep a night for adults. Younger, um, growing individuals should get at least eight, nine, ten hours. Um, babies, of course, sleep much more than that. But, um, but you want to try and get enough sleep during, during the night. The hours before midnight are better than the hours after midnight. And, and interesting enough, Ellen White said this a long time ago. It's funny how science today is catching up to what the spirit of prophecy and the Bible said long, long time ago. We can trust the spirit of prophecy without even having to look into scientific articles and so on. We can trust the spirit of prophecy. If it says so, if God says so, we'll do it because it is the truth. Even if science hasn't even backed it up yet, science will catch up eventually. Follow the spirit of prophecy. But it's interesting that, you know, now science is, is, is promoting a lot of these things. She said a long time ago, I know from the testimonies given me from time to time for brain workers that sleep is worth far more before than after midnight. Two hours good sleep before 12 o'clock is worth more than four hours after 12 o'clock. So why before midnight? Melatonin production is actually greater before midnight than after midnight. You see, our bodies work on these, um, these internal clocks. Okay? And um, one of the clocks that we have are... Uh, circadian, the circadian rhythms. It's, a, an, it's approximately 24-hour clock within us. Some people have it, at, have it set at 23.5, some at 24 point something. But we all have these circadian clocks that last about 24 hours. And our, our bodies have this, this clock within us. And, and, so, and it's regulated by sunlight, by the way. Another reason why sunlight is important. The sunlight helps regulate this internal clock so that when... Uh, it knows that when it's dark, oh, it's nighttime, it's time to start secreting some of these hormones, i.e. melatonin. When it's dark and we go to sleep before midnight, the body starts secreting melatonin, and melatonin is extremely important. It helps, it helps uh, prevent things like Parkinson's disease. How many of us want Parkinson's disease? Oh, I actually saw somebody raise their hands. We don't want Parkinson's disease. But none of us want Parkinson's disease. It's not a, it's not a very fun disease. I'm actually working as a caregiver uh, to help pay off my studies now during the summer. And one of, one of, the, people that I, one of the people that I care for, an elderly man, he, he has Parkinson's. And, um, and it's, it's not a fun disease. It's really, it, it's really a, a, a burden, you know? So... Um, getting good sleep can help prevent that. Um, it's also, it's a powerful anti antioxidant that also helps avoid or prevent ovarian cancer. Melatonin, now notice this, melatonin is produced at, very low, at lower levels when there's been an insulin spike uh, within the last five hours. So if we've eaten before going to bed, our melatonin production is lessened. So having those late night snacks or those midnight snacks or, um, or those you know, very late suppers actually um, decreases our secretion of melatonin. So try and have your supper, if at all, try and have your supper early enough so that you can sleep well at night and rest and get that proper melatonin secretion. Um, lack of sleep is a major stressor. We know this. It impairs memory, judgment. I mean, it's no, it's no mystery 
we see lots of accidents every year due to drowsy driving. And lastly, trust in God. It is the most important. It is actually the basis of, the basis of all these remedies. We, we can't eat correctly. We can't sleep correctly. We can't do anything correctly without God's help. Unless God's help us, unless God helps us, and unless God's power is holding us, strengthening us, we can't fulfill anything. You know, John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. So, trust in God. This is the main, main remedy. Many of the diseases from which men suffer are a result of mental depression. Grief, anxiety, discontent, remorse, guilt, distrust all tend to break down the life forces and to invite decay and death. And these, all these, grief, anxiety, discontent, all of these are the same things that Jesus came to get rid of in our lives, are the same things that God wants to heal us from. So trust in God will heal us from these things that invite decay and death. Courage, hope, faith, sympathy, love, promote health and prolong life. A contented mind, a cheerful spirit is health to the body and strength to the soul. You, and you all know Proverbs 17, 22, right? A merry heart does good like a medicine. And a wounded spirit dries up the bones. Yes. So here it is. Again, the prophet just confirming what the Bible already says. So we need to take a hold of this message. The indifference, according to uh, testimonies to ministers and gospel workers, says the indifference which has existed among our ministers in regard to health reform and medical missionary work is surprising. Some who do not profess to be Christians treat these matters with greater reverence than do some of our own people. And unless we arouse, they will go on in advance of us. And you know, I think that, I think that this has, at least in part, started becoming a reality, sadly. You have uh, people like, um, you know, non-Christians or, or people that don't believe in, in God, you know, doing great things in the area of health, although, but they also have a lot of error, and they're mixing truth and error, and people are following them by droves. I mean, just hundreds of thousands, you know, just following these, these doctors that know a lot and have a lot of good things to say, but don't have the, the beautiful message that we have to share of salvation. And because we have been indolent, because we have been slow to act, slow to follow God's counsel, many of them are going on in advance of us. And so lastly, I'll end with the same quote that we ended yesterday, just for those that weren't here and a review for those that were. It says, as religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, which is happening very, very soon and already starting, those who would stand for freedom of conscience will be, will be placed in unfavorable positions. For, for our own sake, us, each one of us here, for our own sake, we should, while we have opportunity, become intelligent in regard to disease, its causes, prevention, and cure. And those who do this will find a field of labor anywhere. There will be suffering ones, plenty of them, who will need help, not only among those of our own faith, but largely among those who know not the truth. The shortness of time demands an energy that has not been aroused among those who claim to believe the present truth. So, brothers and sisters, we've seen some general principles in health today, and um, if there is at all any conviction in our hearts, let us go home like the Bereans and study this out and see whether, how this applies to us. 
not whether, but how this applies to us and how God can help us live more abundant lives, lives that, that can not just be healthy, but also have those minds, that, that frontal lobe that can hear His voice, understand His will, and under, discern what, what His desires for us are. So thank you very much for your time and for your patience. I know that having these meetings after, after lunch is a bit difficult, but I pray that this was a blessing to you and that, and that we may continue moving forward in, in the truth of health reform and every other truth that we have learned this, this, uh, this weekend so, thus far. Let's pray. Dear Father, we ask you, Lord, to please place in our hearts a conviction, Lord, for, for sin, and not just in health reform, Lord, but in every single truth that you have given us as a church. Lord, there's, there's the great sins of pride and selfishness and self-righteousness, covetousness, and Lord, it is from these big sins that stems this, the, the sins of, of uh, adultery and murder and uh, even unhealthy eating, Lord, or unhealthy living. Lord, heal us. Heal us of the true, true disease, which is sin. Help us, Father, to, to realize our need of you and to have that constant dependence upon you that that Daniel had, to stand firm in the courts of Babylon, to follow your, your recommendations, Lord. And we pray, Father, that you will give us courage, give us that faith, hope, and love to stand firm for you in these last days. And Father, we pray that you'll open our ears, show us what, what we ought to change. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.